0: It's Sunday, October 1st, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a movie podcast interrupted by a baseball discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney.
1: And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, we open a steaming bag of hot buttered popcorn with a double feature of Excellent Features, Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, and then we break down Tommy's choice, Martin Scorsese's After Hours. In Peanuts, with a clear picture of the playoff matchups, we make our picks for the first round. I currently have a 65-day streak on Wordle, but I have yet to complete the baseball grid on Baseball Reference. Dodgers reliever Brewstar Gatterall finally gets the chance to pitch in front of his mother, while the Atlanta Braves did something that irked the Chicago Cubs broadcast team. Finally, the Cubs just miss out on the playoffs. Was this season a failure, and what can they do to improve for next season?
0: How you doing, Tommy? I'm doing very well for this uh, fall Sunday morning. Welcome to October, and welcome to Peanuts and Popcorn. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Both my kids went to homecoming last night. It was kind of cool. My son was able to drive. That was very nice. You so know?
0: so he and what year is he in he's a junior and then he's my daughter's
1: a freshman and so yeah. she bought a dress and she went with a bunch of friends and then he went with a bunch of friends and then they met at the dance and he drove her around and you know it was
0: great that's cool that's cool yeah. they're, they're kind of entering a new phase of their lives now uh, they are where yeah. they're no longer children uh uh in body certainly they'll they'll still do childish things but but they're growing up and and uh some of those things, like, was there Sadie Hawkins dances at these schools? Like, we had, did you have Sadie We had Hawkins? them. We, we I did. Sadie. I did.
1: Yeah, those were great. Those were a lot of fun. I, I don't know if they still do. They do something along those lines. I don't think they call it a Sadie Hawkins dance, but now, you know, the, the, these roles are sort of like kids don't go with a date anymore. They go as a group.
0: A group? No, I know, I know. Yeah. Which, so which it, would have been great for me in high school. Trust me. That would, yeah. that would have played well into my uh, social deficiencies at the time. Um, but I, I also think because of societal changes and evolution that some of these old, like back in the day, like the boys would be on one side of the gym and the girls would be on the other side of the gym. Yeah, right. And, and one of my, you know, and I've, I've told you this many times, I love my high school reunions today. I wouldn't miss any of them. I love them. But all of those are gone. All of that thing of the girls being on the one side, the, as you would become adults, that that's those things are don't exist anymore. But that was a huge thing back in the day. And I'm thinking the angst of teenagers never changes. I don't care what age it is. You know, as long as you're trying to deal with acne and growing pains and everything else, it will always be an issue. But I would like to think that maybe it's a little bit better today. You're as a father, do you ever go to? Do, have you ever seen any of these dances? Do you ever? No, I it? haven't
1: actually. But you know, I I I trust my kids. I trust the school. So you know, I I'm I'm fine with it. You know, part of this is is you got to let. The kids go. You got to right. let them go and do it and have their own fun and determine their outcomes and things like that. But, uh, but we were up late waiting for William to get back. I'll tell you
0: that. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, as a parent, you, you're, you know, I'm petrified if if a kid's out driving. I mean, it's just there's two. You know, I don't know if kids are drinking and doing smoking pot today. I don't know whether they are or they're not. I know I was. I, I can only base I can only base it on my immature behavior of and I would be very worried if I was a parent but you know thinking that some of this stuff that I thought I got away with is coming back to bite me as a parent um because that's the that's the big concern I would have. Are they getting back safely? Did they have a good social time? But more importantly are they safe? And so yeah. I see that's a that's an issue. So
1: but 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 I want to move on to the fact that you have New pets in your yeah, house?
0: I was just going to segue. So, yeah, so um, we have those same kind of uh, safety issues. Um, now, we, after, uh, you know, the dude passed away in early to- 2021. We haven't had a pet since then. Part of it was because we didn't have a permanent home. And we d- made a decision that once we did have a permanent home, we would, we would, uh, adopt not one but two cats and and the idea was to get a brother and a sister like we did back in 2003 it worked so well um and we kept those pets till till uh, you know unfortunately Jackie passed away before Neil did but they were you know they slept together they did everything together when you're not there they, they the having the pair we found from a social standpoint worked very well for the animals so it's We're in the first week. It's, you know, it's, we're kind of seeing things all over again. First of all, the smell, (laughs) the 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 smell smell of cats is, uh, well, it's down in my office. It's where we do this recording. They're just right behind me in, in a bathroom. They have their own room. Um, and, uh, so we're, we're just kind of getting used to each other. This is like a prize fight in the first round. We're kind of feeling each other out to see what do you have? When am I going to get scratched? You know, all those kind of things. Uh, but it's, you know, they bring joy into our life. That's why we do it. We did it from a rescue place that, uh, is was very reputable, and we've got it specifically from a woman that um, you know really helps cats out um, and finds new homes for them, and uh, it's it's uh, quite impressive um, the, the 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 whole organization. Um, things are changing in Chicago, Leo. What's- they are
1: um, the the signature room closed. Uh, it was one of my favorite spots. I used to go there periodically for family dinners, things like that. But well, what I loved most was the bar, you know, at the sort of yep, west correct. side, which was a great place because you could go to the bar and have a drink and not have to pay. That's right. To go to the sky deck, or whatever. that's correct. So you could avoid the fifteen or twenty dollars to pay to go to the platform to, to to see the view, and instead you just go to the bar, you get a beer or whatever, have a drink, and it's two floors up, and it's the same view. Only you get to sit there and enjoy it, and right. uh, and I'm sorry that this place closed. They cited that uh, COVID, it was COVID that sunk them when the city shut them down when COVID was sort of at its height, and they never really recovered from that. And that was a couple that- of years ago. I don't I don't know. I mean. You
0: know, I I have a different backstory on this, this restaurant. And I know some things about this restaurant because of our friendship with uh, Jesse and Diane, Jesse was in the food industry. So we were there a few times. My wife really liked it. Um, However, about like years ago, this was the place to take somebody from out of town to really kind of experience the Chicago thing. Very expensive food. Usually it's very good. The last time we went there, um, we went there on somebody's 50th birthday party, and then we had an outdoor party after uh, the restaurant uh, in our backyard. And oh, there wow. was people that had projectile vomiting going on because they got sick from the food there. I mean, it. I, I, in fact, I never saw projectile vomiting like this. It reminded me of Stand By Me. It was, it, it was comical, but it was also sickening at the same time. There was some bad fish at the signature room. And so... When I told Gwen that this was closing, she said, "You know, the last time we went there, she said it really looked down, downtrodden. Like every, all oh, the furniture was really old and barren. And she's, she was like, it was, it had seen its better days. She, so we're not surprised that it closed. It wasn't just COVID that made uh, the signature room close. They never evolved." They, they never they, no, they, they never have, evolved. They, they and, should have and, taken a coat of paint to the place. They should have done something to make it, um, you know, um, that extra special uh, level of, uh, uh, you know, restaurant uh, uh, excellence, I guess, is the best way to say it, because they were known for their food. And like you said, the best part was going to the bar. That's what we don't. Yeah,
1: so. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, So sad to see it close. However, it was dying before COVID. COVID was the death knell, but it was dying. It wouldn't, I would be surprised if it still, if COVID never existed, that they still wouldn't be closing is what I'm saying.
1: All right. So uh, we're wearing black armbands today as the (laughs) result of a couple of deaths. Uh, We're going to begin with the death of uh, David McCallum, the actor who passed away at the age of 90. This is a guy who a lot of a lot of Americans will remember him from the Man from U.N.C.L.E. He was uh, Ilya Kuryakin in that. So that a was The Man a, from
0: uh, Uncle, as the most common. The
1: yes. Man from Uncle, and he this was a spy show. It was really good. Yep. But uh, what I'll always remember McCallum is he was in the the uh, the Great Escape, which is a great movie mm-hmm. about a prison break from a from a not a concentration camp, but a prison a prisoner of war camp in. Uh, Nazi Germany, where these guys, based on a true story, they tunnel out and get about 150 guys all escaping at the same time. And uh, it's a really good movie, and he's got a great little part in it. And, uh, you know, we're sorry to see him pass. I mean, he just worked really for quite a long time in movies. He he was that beautiful, good-looking guy with the blonde hair, you know, right at the outset, the slight Scottish accent. You know what I mean? Not kind of like a Sean Connery light. You know what I mean? But right, uh right, but right. uh but but kind of a hard throb. But then he becomes this sort of old man as those British actors do, because they work forever. Yep. And then he plays the grandfathers and so on and so forth and old men. And uh, you know, it it it's it's a fine career in films and uh he will be missed.
0: Yeah, you know, it's important to note what you kind of touched on was the fact that he was kind of a heartthrob and he was one of the very few that actually evolved into a great character actor. Yeah, he 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 was a a character actor of some accomplishment. And I, I think it doesn't always go, when I think of like Tab Hunter or some of the, Jeff Chandler, who these guys were heartthrobs in the 50s and the 60s, they really weren't able to kind of, you know, go past the fact that they were heartthrobs, you know, kind of like David Cassidy was, uh, you know, in, in music, right. yeah. but McCallum, you know, worked all the way up until I think just a couple of years ago and he died as a 90 year old man. Um So uh kudos to him and a great life. And uh I do remember I'm old enough that I remember the man from uncle when it was in its, in its, uh, its normal run, its first yeah. run status, I should say, at least in the U S and it was a big thing. And it wasn't, so much for him. For me, was when I realized who Diana Rigg was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the yeah. fact that I was a flaming heterosexual. uh I but, he was uh, tuning in every week. Yeah, you know? right. Well, we all tuned in for different reasons. Mine was because of Diana Rigg. But yeah. uh anyways, rest in peace, David McCallum.
2: In a land of eternal beauty and infinite mystery, a legend was born. The story of a warrior. The woman he loved. A daring outlaw. Ah! And a princess destined to become a warrior. Sony Pictures Classics proudly presents Chow Yun-Fat, Michelle Yeoh, Zhang Yi in an extraordinary romantic adventure. From Ang Lee, the director of Sense and Sensibility. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon.
1: All right. So let's let's get to the popcorn and we have a nice, big, hot, steaming, steaming, hot, buttered popcorn ready to go.
0: I'm glad you said popcorn.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, These are two. These the two movies we selected this week are among two of the best movies I think we have selected in quite a while. And we're going to begin with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, directed by Ang Lee, starring Michelle Yeoh. Chow Young Fat is in it. This movie, I selected this movie because... Um, you, the in the previous episode, selected Gladiator. Yep. And both these movies were released in the same year. And it was Gladiator that won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, man, what was the Academy
0: thinking <laughs>
1: by not picking Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? It's the story of a monk, Master Lee. You know, he, he comes into town and he's decided to give up the destiny sword. And he gives it to Shin Lu, Lu, who's played by Michelle Yeoh, who there's a sort of a context where the two of them are sort of in love with one another. And it, he tasks her to deliver the destiny sword to this wealthy man in Peking, which she does. And the sword is, is really, really old and it's really beautiful. But then... After she delivers the sword, it is stolen by a masked warrior, kind of a ninja. Who knows? They think it could be the jade fox. You know, it's really, really so up in the air. Michelle Yeoh chases her across the rooftops, but allows her to get away, partly because she suspects that the person who stole the sword is really the daughter of the wealthy man who is being tasked to marry another wealthy man in a distant province. But she doesn't want to marry. But it's her family who's sort of deciding that she has to marry. But she wants to live the life of a warrior, okay? And, and the story gets very, very complex. But as it turns out, the Jade Fox, who is the villain in this piece, has been training this, this young woman to be a great, great fighter, and uh and 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 she is her disciple but the problem is is that jade fox has killed master lu's master and he has sworn to kill the jade fox and there's a whole series of just fights and all sorts of just great martial arts stuff happening and ang lee does just such a fantastic job with putting this all together. It's difficult really to explain the plot because you really have to kind of see this going for itself. But this is a movie that, that encompasses the best of the martial arts genre. You have these sort of formula scenes where you have the master fighting the student and the master completely overpowers them, but the student has potential. But there's not a single bit of computer generated imagery. This is all done with wires. The actors and actresses and the stunt men are flying through the air. Yes, they yes, it's obvious that they're on wires, but it is beautifully done. And I, I the way that the movements are sort of choreographed, because it, it is like choreography, it's like dance. And and the main female character, you know, she was actually a dancer, a ballet dancer before she did this movie but she's just doing fantastic, like martial arts, fighting stuff. It's a movie with great humor and comedy. It's a movie with great romance. It is delicate when it needs to be. It hits you right over the head with great stuff when it needs to be. You know, uh, there's this great scene where they're fighting the Jade Fox and they've got her, but she escapes. And she uses one of those long sticks with a ribbon at the end that they always use in rhythmic gymnastics and she leaps over the wall and she spins that stick in a spiral and it propels her over the wall. You know, and I just thought that was so cool. But then there are little moments when 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 Michelle Yo, Shen Lu is talking to this other woman and then Master Lu walks in and you see She sort of looks over the shoulder of the woman she's talking to, and the camera pans back really fast as the woman she's talking to turns around and realizes it's Master Lou. And there's all that subtext undercurrent of steaming romance that the two of them will never get to achieve. Oh, man, this movie just knocked me on my ass. I'd seen it a long time ago, and I really liked it. Seeing it again blew me away. If you have not seen this movie, you must
0: yeah, I, I I agree. Um, uh, I too saw this film when it first came out, and it actually has gotten better with age for me. It really has. Um, I think this is a four star film. And to ask, uh, to answer the existential question, which was, you know, um, in this year, which uh, for two thousand and one, it's actually for films for the year two thousand. It's always the Oscars when they right. uh, the year afterwards. But when you look at Aaron Brockovich, Chalk a Lot, Traffic and this film Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon they're all better than Gladiator I, I mean I, have, I haven't seen Aaron Brockovich in a while and maybe that one's close I'm not, not sure and Traffic as well but I know Chocolat and Crou and this film Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon is significantly superior to that film maybe um, that's
1: what happened is that the, it split the vote
0: it, it, it appears as though it was it was something of that nature that and the what we talked about with Gladiator last week was the fact towards the end of the award season it caught fire and it was the box office darling film um i don't know why uh, but it was um i saw Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon when it first came out in its original language form unfortunately this one that i saw was dubbed and i hated that i wish wow. i i want to see the 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 native language films as they're released with subtitles <laughs> obviously cuz i don't understand any of these other languages or not many of them anyways to me this was like peter pan meets bruce lee you know there there was uh it was silly at times but it was elegant and like you said there is no cgi in this film except they erase the wires yeah. that the actors were wearing if you the this one scene where they're fighting in the trees is yeah. one of motion picture's great um choreographed it like you said it is almost like dance um yeah. you know uh, but the whole green destiny and the sword and the, and trying to get that sword back. The thing that that Ebert doesn't touch on and nobody that reviewed it, but I noticed and it needs to be touched on, is that men and women are equals in yeah. this world. There was no yeah. ma- you know the, there was no male superiority in the fighting. Quite the contrary. Some of the yeah. best fighters were women, and that was refreshing to see that. I've always found martial art films to be. Um, almost comical, particularly the fighting. Some some of the expressions of the guys getting punched are hilarious to me. And Ebert says, this is the greatest martial arts film ever made. It's one of the best. I don't know that it's better than Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee because it was the first one. It was the first great martial arts film. And I saw it in the theater as a young teen. And I was like, oh my God, this guy will beat anybody's ass in the world. And then I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I realized there was quite a few guys that could beat Bruce Lee's ass, uh, as it turns out. Um, Because that, that scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is based on a true event with yes, right, actually getting right, his right. ass kicked by that one stunt guy. Um, like, it's infinitely better than Gladiator. Great camera angles. This won four Oscars. And this, why it didn't win Best Picture? Because it did win Best Foreign Language Film. Nowadays, thanks to the last four or five years and Asian um, successes at the Oscars and wokeness to a certain degree, these films are now being considered, rightly so, for Best Picture as opposed to Best you know uh uh, international film whatever they call best foreign language film because i think that probably happened too because it did win best foreign language film it should have because based on my assessment it was the best picture of that year
1: it really was Uh, you know and 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 it was dominated with some really really good movies but let me ask you a direct
0: question yeah
1: is this a better movie than everything everywhere all at once
0: um for me, no, it's not because everything everywhere all at once is a film unlike anything I've ever seen. And 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 I always kind of hearken back to that. I know it's not for everybody's um ta- uh you know taste. I get it. But for me, when I first saw this, and you know me, I'm a student of the film game. I've never seen a film that's anything like this. And I felt <laughs> this way when I first saw some of Tarantino's early work. You know, I was like, you know, he's really kind of doing something different here. And I felt that same way about, uh, that, that film as well. Um, this film is great. It's hard to compare them because they're really kind of two different subjects, but it does contain Michelle. Yo, Ye- Right. She, she won at the an height Oscar. of her, at the height of her abilities. Right. But I mean, interesting thing about Michelle, she tore her ACL in, in Crouching Tiger. She did. She and did. and, and <laughs> that, that, let me tell you, that is, that's impressive that she even came back from that within the schedule of the shooting of the film. Um, again i love this film i love this film better than the film i suggested to you and and that's saying something i love that film too but i really this is like a elegant opera um that exists in its own world kind of like everything everywhere all at once but but it's it it you know Ang Lee is just does an an unbelievable job. He should have been it, best director that year in my mind. This
1: is why this movie is why we go to the movies right, in the right, first place. Right. So you can see really cool stuff filmed in really really cool ways. And and this is the problem that I have with CGI. Oh yeah, it's all just sort of conjured up out of thin air, and it has no it has no presence, no physicality. And and you know these scenes on the horses and the battle scenes in the valley and the ravines, all that stuff would have been done, you know, would be done by the modern director with with computers, and and it would look silly, or oh, it would great. look sort of thin and and I don't know, it just doesn't look right. This looks right. This is why movies were created in the first place. So you could film really cool stuff happening. You know what I mean? And and. They go all out. They really do.
0: Yeah, you know, what I'd like to do at the end of this season is have you pick the best, because this has been a great year on both sides for films that we both have picked. Uh, I thought we had yeah. a good year last year, but I think this year is actually even better. Uh, what I'd like to do on our last show is review the best film that I suggested for you or or, or speak about that, and then I'll speak about the best picture you recommended for me because now i have kind of a, a have a little bit of a race it, you it was clear cut to me a couple of weeks ago until i saw this film that's how that's how good this movie is this was a great um film uh, you know it's, it stopped short of being a masterpiece but it's damn close and i i'll and ebert is right that you've really never seen a martial arts film like this part of the criticism by the way was how people felt that it was ridiculous that they were flying around like Peter Pan, and I and my feeling was, if you let that go after about ten minutes, you're in for the ride of your life. Yeah, you you yeah. had to just let you had to suspend your your disbelief over the fact that 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 it was slightly ridiculous. These um, guys can essentially fly, but if you've ever seen the movie Superman, right, well, right, exactly, it? right, right. You, you know, know, I mean, it, it, it's it's funny because you and I are not huge fans of the of that genre, of, of the action picture. It, 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 this was just elegant. To me, this was like an opera and, and a very well done one. So I'm so glad you selected this one.
2: Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop.
0: I feel like something incredible is really gonna happen here. <laughs>
2: so when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. Kiki! Ah! So, I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's okay. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right.
1: It's boy.
2: So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on. But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all there is? After Hours, when anything can happen, and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? That's all there is, my friend.
1: Then let's keep dancing. All right, so let's get to your choice, which is Martin Scorsese's After Hours, which is a movie that I saw for the first time way back in 1984 uh, when I was studying in Spain.
0: You mean eighty five? It didn't come out till eighty five. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I no, I'm sorry. Then I I forgot. The, I was. It was nineteen eighty six, and it was called Ho Que Noche. Oh, what a night! Yes. So <laughs> we we have our guy Paul, our main character, who is a word processor in a New York firm. He basically trains other people how to use the computers, and you know, it's funny to see how dated. equipment that they're using is They
0: they were using lotus that was even before windows
1: that was hilarious so so he he leaves work i guess on a friday and uh the the iron gates at the building close they nearly lock him inside but he goes home he realizes that his life is pretty dull you know he doesn't like what he does particularly and you know he's at home alone in his apartment watching tv he decides to go to the diner and read a book And while he's reading The Tropic of Cancer, uh, (laughs) a woman approaches him uh, in this empty diner and says, oh, what a great book. And she comes over and sits down and she's beautiful, played by Rosanna Arquette. Uh, That's to Griffin Dunn's Paul. And so they start a conversation about the book. She's really cute. She's flirting with him, obviously. And she invites him to come meet her down in Soho later on that night or later on. So, so actually, he, she gives him her his phone number. He goes home, calls her, and she invites him down to her loft in Soho. And so he's like, yeah, yeah sure, I'll go. She's beautiful. What's not to like? But as he gets down there, um, he realizes that she has a roommate, uh, played by Linda Fiorentino, Kiki, who's really kinky, and just part of the whole crazy soho art scene she's an artist a sculptor who makes uh bagel uh, paperweights that look like bagels with cream cheese in addition to doing other sculptures but as the movie progresses you know he finds out that this woman that he met uh, what's her name marcy is yes. a little crazy and she may you know she she may be married she may have a boyfriend she may have disfiguring burns underneath her clothes and he's a little freaked out so he says something rude and sort of makes his exit and gets out okay but he has no money because on the taxi drive down from uh, midtown from downtown he the 20 bill he had flew out the window of the taxi cab so now he's in soho with no money and no ability to get back home He goes into a bar. He tries to borrow money from the bartender, who is a nice enough guy, but he has a little bit of a temper problem. Then the waitress in the bartender, played by Terry Garr, comes on to him. You know, now she brings him home, and he's a little repulsed because her apartment is rat infested, and she's also a little creepy. And it just sort of goes on from there and everywhere he turns, it goes to a disaster. He <laughs> goes to a punk rock club where it's a Mohawk night and they try to give him a Mohawk, you know, and he escapes with barely, you know, with his head sort of shaved a little bit. And again, it's difficult to explain everything nope. that happens in this movie because so much happens, but it's a great New York movie because here's this guy alone in soho trying to manage escape but he can't do it and then i guess the absurd scene is when the gay people led by a woman driving a mr softy truck think that he's robbed buildings and they're trying to kill him i i don't know i didn't do a good job of explaining this one No,
0: you, you actually did a great job of explaining it <laughs>
1: you know but I loved it. Martin Scorsese did a great job with this movie. He did this movie because he was trying to get funding for Last Temptation of Christ. Correct. It fell through at the last minute. He was all set to do Christ. And it, it fell through. So somebody said, hey, you could do this. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. Right. You know, I want to show them that I'm not going to let them kill me, You know, kill my joy of making movies. And this is very much in the Scorsese style. You know, with the camera angles right at the heads of the actor, right at the level of the actor. And, you know, I really enjoyed this. This is a lot of fun. Very funny. It's a great New York story.
0: Yeah, it is. And kind of going in with our theme of 1980s films. Um, uh, so one of the, the I've told you this before, I've told others, you know, I, I tackled the, the top 100 novels of the first 20th or the, the 20th century recently and i really struggled with with ulysses which is arguably the best of of all of those books um this is just like the ulysses story it's instead of 24 hours in dublin it's it's this night you know in new york city but it's kind of similar in that you can't explain it to somebody exactly what's happening you just have to experience it and it and you know You're right. Scorsese, you could tell, was preoccupied with with this last temptation of Christ because this film exists in the Scorsese portfolio like none others. And I I thought the king of comedy was something. But this film really is has lives on its own island. I think this is a three and a half star film. um, And I think a couple of things I wanted to bring up to the fore. So, number one, Griffin Dunn, who basically this was his project. He helped write this today would never be in a motion picture until they said, hey, dude, get your teeth fixed. Uh, You know, so it was refreshing to see basically an amateur kind of carry this film. That's part of why this story is so good. Because if this would have been a prime actor at the time, this would have been completely unbelievable. And for me, the film... You know, uh, I remember loft living in the 80s. I had a girlfriend that had a loft and it was just you could never keep it clean enough. I do remember that. And I do remember there was problems with uh, rodents. Um, this is, you know, at one point, one of the characters like uh, says, you know, what, what's going on here? He goes, oh, don't worry. It's, it's like after hours. That, that was, and that's how, you know, the film gets named. I knew a woman like the Roseanne Arquette character. She was just as crazy as her, and she was almost as attractive as her. Um, I don't think Roseanne Arquette is a particularly great actress, and I think history has proven me to be correct on that—that that her sister is actually a better actor than her. However, Terry Gar, yeah, until she had that, you know, got sick, was one of comedy's greatest actresses, and she, yeah. and she, the film kind of comes alive. When when she's in it, once they enter that bar scene where John Hurd is the bartender, that's when the film for me really kind of starts. It, it's like, you know, and, and you and I have been in many places like that in Chicago. At least I have been where I where it was like, I don't know how this is going to end. We're right on the edge. I mean, this could go either way. Um, and so, um, you know, a nice overhead Scorsese shot in the bathroom. There it was just uh, something on a taxi driver almost. Right. Um, right, right. Th- this is the most ethereal Scorsese film. That's why I say I, I I thought Hugo really sticks out in his portfolio too, because it's so different. There's no gangster killings, and and he does use you know, like CGI yeah, yeah. and 3D and that kind of stuff. Um, however, this film is maybe his most underrated film. And for people that say all he does is make gangster films, that's mm-hmm. bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. He's made some great films. And I get the feeling like this new film about the Osage Indians coming out at the end of this month is going to be another one of those, even though he's got all the regular gangsters in the film, like De Niro. Did Um, you catch his uh, cameo, by the way? Oh, yeah, of course, with the light. Of course. I'm always on the lookout for Alfred Hitchcock like moments like that. And so I saw it right away. I'm like, dude. Dude, aren't you the same guy that was in The Taxi and Taxi Driver? I've seen it's you right. before. That's right. Um, right. So, uh, you know, at the end of this film, Scorsese didn't have an ending. So he actually took this to some pretty prominent directors at the time to look at it. Um, and, and, and they basically came up with the idea that he would return to his office and get back in yeah. front of his computer, which I yeah. think is perfect. They picked the right... If they would have had some fantastical... You know, ending of gunplay or something like that, I'd be like, he ruins the whole vibe of this movie. It was like a dreams, dreamscape. And, um, it's just, it's, and it also, I never looked at my watch once in the hour and 40 minutes it was on. Like, it just, I don't know, that film just blew by. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but that being said, it just falls short for me of a four star film like the previous film that we discussed. But no, no, that's true.
1: But, but again, I mean, Not every film has to be a four star Mm -hmm. movie.
0: No doubt. Again, if you're over three stars, it needs to be watched. That's my that's my theory on on the whole
1: movie. Needs to be seen. If you haven't seen After Hours, correct, gotta see it. I mean, and and, and look at the cast. You 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 have Cheech and Chong who are in. Oh yeah, Cheech and Chong. What the hell was that? What was Scorsese thinking? uh, Yeah, I know, I know. But that but they're perfect. You know when Catherine O'Hara is. I it. love
0: Catherine O'Hara. I I will tell you that she is one of the funniest women that have ever walked the planet. Yeah. It, it's it, she has sadly and criminally been underused. And if you look at her film career, there's another one. I mean, she hits it out of the park every single time.
1: Yeah, no, she's she's wonderful. You know, uh, especially in all the Christopher Guest movies, right? Uh, where she, you know, and God
0: loves a terrier.
1: time to open up the bag of peanuts and we transition from movies to baseball and we'll begin with the path, passing of uh, Hall of Fame third baseman Brooks Robinson. Um, most people are aware of Robinson through his exploits in the 1970 World Series right. against the 1970, 71 World Series or 70? 70 1970 1970 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds where he basically made five or six unbelievable defensive plays and sunk the Reds in that series. Uh, But, but what he did in the world series that year was, was what Robinson did throughout his entire career. And he is regarded as the greatest defensive third baseman who ever lived. And there've been Mm. some great
0: ones, no doubt,
1: but he is the gold standard. And I was looking at his baseball reference page and, you know, he has, Seventy-four, more or less, wins above replacement, and forty-nine percent of yeah. that. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine percent. No, no, dead-
0: thirty-nine of his war. He's 39. he's got the third highest defensive war of all time, behind Mark uh, Bat- Belanger, who played next to him, yeah, and Ozzy Smith, who has a forty-four, or something like that. He has an unbelievable win, a defensive win above replacement. But Brooks Robinson, make no mistake about it was um and is and still is in my mind even though mike schmidt was tremendous as far as a power hitter goes um schmidt was no no defensive slouch either but he could not nobody could hold brooks robinson's jockstrap when it came to defensive play so i you know in 1968 i was a 10 year old boy watching my tigers win the world series baltimore at that time was the team to beat in the american league east in fact in 1969 they had four, or I'm sorry, in 1971. They had four 20 game winners, which has never been duplicated since. Why did they have so many great pitchers that went the distance in so many games? It was because of Brooks Robinson and and Mark Belanger on the uh, on that left side of the of the of the, di- the diamond, and the fact that Boo Powell was a pretty big target at first base. But as an 11 year old, I watched every moment of that 1970 World Series because they were all day games back then. Right. And I, and so when I thought that Brooks had just made the greatest play I ever saw, he made one that was even better than that. And that's yeah. the one that they show in everything that where he goes outside the third baseline in that series, he did that two or three times. That one is the most prominent one, but that's where as an 11 year old, I was like, well, we don't have anybody like that. We have nobody on our team. We got Al Kaline. But we don't have Brooks Robinson. And we didn't have Frank Robinson either, by the way, who was just as great in a different way. At the time that Brooks went into the Hall of Fame, there was no question about him going into the Hall of Fame. Now, he didn't get to 3,000 hits, but he got 2,800. But there was no discussion. He was a first-ballot Hall of Famer, played his entire career with the Orioles. Um, And, you know, he also people don't talk about this. He was an unbelievable guy in the Baltimore Oriole community, as far as giving of his time, signing everything that you put in front of him. He was just a, a beloved guy. And you, you, you don't see guys like that anymore. You, you really don't. They played their whole career with one team. Norman Rockwell did a painting. Of <laughs> That's right. That's you right. Know, and that shows just how much
1: America sort of idolized this guy. And, and, you know, he wasn't as prolific A hitter, but he wasn't a bad hitter. No, no,
0: no. He was a fine hitter. Again, 2,800 hits. That's nothing to to sneeze at. It's just that at the time, there wasn't third basemen that were really being considered for the Hall of Fame, period. In -hmm. fact, the whole Ron Santo debate, which brewed for 30 years before he finally was put in, was part of the debate that there's only a handful of third basemen in the Hall of Fame. And 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 a part of it was because they most almost always were all glove and no hit. Robinson could hit, Schmidt could hit. You know uh, the guy on the Atlanta Braves, what's his name? He could actually hit the baseball. Yeah. Um, right. it, you know, again, all Hall of Famers. Um, so it, it, it's as the older I get, the harder it is for me to reconcile the uh, the, the losing these heroes of my youth, even though I know they were all. You know, much older than me, and a lot of them are already passed. Quite honestly, but he was—he was just really something. I rooted against him because I was a Tiger fan, but I respected the absolute loving shit out of him because of how he was the Hoover. They called him the Hoover. I mean, he sucked yeah. up everything that came anywhere near him. In fact, I never saw him make an error in my life. I'm—I sure, know he did. He made a handful of them, but that's how infrequent it was.
1: Well, I, I defy you to find another player, apart from Ozzie Smith, who has a higher percentage of his career wins above replacement due to his glove. Right. You know what I mean, uh, you know, and, well,
0: and Be- talking- Be- is all defensive war. He couldn't it's hit all, all. He's like a 100 but, hitter. But-, but
1: somebody with over 50 wins above replacement. You know yeah, what I mean? Right,
0: right, right, right.
1: You know, I mean, Smith is 57% of his wins above replacement with his glove. And
0: rightly so. And rightly yeah. so. He was the greatest defense. Just if, can you imagine if Ozzie Smith and Brooks Robinson played on the left side of the diamond? Wow. I mean, think about that.
1: Yeah. That would be insane. Yeah. Yeah well that's the great if there
0: is such thing as a heaven which i dispute i'm sure they've got a hell of an all-star team up there now that's for sure they've got their third baseman that they've been looking for let's yeah, they
1: finally way. got to yeah exactly now they might be able to do something right, um, right. so there's still some playoff matchups that have to be determined but for the most part we know who is going to be in uh the playoffs yes. uh, we know who's clinched And so what we have are we have our division winners, which are Baltimore, Minnesota and possibly Texas. It could still be Houston. And we have Atlanta, Milwaukee and the Dodgers winning their respective divisions. And the wild cards will be some combination of either Tampa Bay, Toronto and Houston uh, or Texas could be one of the wild card teams. And no, then- Texas
0: is already a wild card team. They actually have the best record. Basically what you have is Baltimore, Tampa, and Minnesota. They, you know, the, so Baltimore and Tampa are going to get a bye cuz they have the two best record of the division winners. So
1: Baltimore and uh, and uh Texas. I'm sorry.
0: Baltimore and and Texas. Yes. Um and so um the, the they actually in the American League it's pretty much settled. The question is who do you think is going to w- come out of that? That's the big debate. It's Toronto is, you know, you've got, you've all the American league teams have a plus differential, unlike the national league teams where Miami, Arizona are all underwater. As far as a run differential, that's never good when it comes to the playoffs. That's why the American Mm -hmm. league seems to be a lot more solid. I still think the national league are going to win the world series this year. And I'll, I'll give you my reasons here in a second, but, but as far as those six teams in the playoffs. These are all solid ball clubs. You know, maybe Seattle could say we screwed up just like the Cubs did. We'll talk about that down the road here. But the fact is, Seattle was a better team than Toronto statistically. But guess what? They're going to be watching the playoffs just like the Tiger fans are and the Sox fans are and the Cubs fans are. (laughs) So No, you're right. And and if you look at the American League, I I like the Orioles. I really do.
1: Um, I don't know if they'll win it, but I'm going to pick them to win it. Uh, you know, I mean, that probably is the kiss of death as far as the Orioles are concerned. But my brother-in-law, who's a big Orioles fan, will be happy that I at least chose them. But but honestly, I, I could really see any team. I could see Tampa Bay. The only team I think that doesn't have a chance is, is are the Twins.
0: You know. Really? Because the Twins have given up the least amount of runs of all the teams in the playoffs, American League or National League. Yeah. That's the team that if it got hot, watch out for the Twins. I, I hate to say it. I don't I agree with you. They're an outlier, but I just I keep looking at that runs allowed, and they're they're right there with Tampa Bay. I mean, and and Tampa Bay with a 191 run differential, that's another team that could get hot in the playoffs and and be the American League representative. That being said, I like the Orioles as well
1: there was a guy on the radio here who does, uh, does the betting, you know, uh, betting shows. And he put a hundred dollars down on the Orioles at the beginning of the year when Tampa Bay had gotten off to such a great start and, uh, he got 50 to one. So, uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I will tell you, I followed Tampa Bay only because they were being compared to my 84 Tigers throughout the season, as far as how quick of a start they got off to. But in reality, they weren't even close to that team. So, as it turns out, uh, statistically, any measurement whatsoever. But first and foremost, if Tampa Bay wins the World Series, that kind of changes the discussion. And they could very – the American League, to me, is the most mysterious. To me, the National League, you've got a couple really good teams and everybody else.
1: Yeah, everybody else. I mean, barring a miracle, I think it should be between the Dodgers and the Braves, and I like the Braves a little better.
0: I do too. I I like the Braves to win the World Series.
1: Because the Braves have great pitching and they have great hitting. I mean, they have really, really great hitting as evidence we saw in that series against Chicago. They they have
0: okay pitching, but their hitting is so spectacular that it makes up for it. They've scored 930. They've almost scored 950 runs. I mean, that is unbelievable (laughs) that they lead all of the teams in the playoffs. And some by over a hundred runs scored, and that's what the the key to as long as their hitting holds up. If their bats get cold, they're in big trouble. But if their hitting holds up, they could win the World Series. That's Absolutely. what. That, Absolutely. But I I agree with you. The Dodgers have are the only other team. um, It's even in their class. Right. From a run differential, it's basically of all of the 12 teams in the playoffs, American and National League, Atlanta and the Dodgers have the two – technically would be the best two teams if you wanted to rank them. Um, So, it's again, the National League kind of gets screwed as the two best teams are actually in the National League according to statistics. And I believe that's to be true too. I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers pulled it out because, remember, they got Kershaw. And Kershaw in a short series—that's the other thing you have to start to look at. That's where I think Tampa Bay has some problems because, you know, Houston has a really good starting pitching staff. They, you know, you, you but in these short series, if you've got two, three solid starting pitches, pitchers, you have an advantage. I, I've yeah. all—I've always—I'll always say that. You know, you can get hot, and that's where I think if a team could get hot, it would be the Twins. I know it's hard to believe that, but it's just because they do have really solid pitching
1: no it's going to be fun and i wish the cubs were in it but they're not and uh but uh now have you played this game on baseball do you put first of all let me ask do you play wordle
0: dude i'm a world-class Wordle player what's your longest streak 178 games and it still would be going on except i didn't finish it and i got i got distracted and i didn't finish the game Cause then I, then I went on like a 67 one right after that now. And then now I'm, I think I'm in 30, a 30 straight games. So dude, I have a formula that's almost impossible. I've picked three words off the top that use so many letters that I'm left with three chance. I don't know if you use that strategy, but, but that's the strategy to use this baseball game that you sent me. I can't even get out of the, I can't even get out of the, 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 the uh, the on deck circle to play the game, so it seems to be a lot harder. But again, I was so busy this week, I didn't devote a lot of time to it. it looks very interesting, but it's infinitely harder than Wordle. Wordle is hard. I, I play hard. Quirtle, Wordle, uh, the sequential game. Oh, there's like four or five Wordle related games. I play them all. And again, if you use scare month and then fluid, wa- watch sure. how your 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 your. It's it's not really a game anymore. Now, of course, you do have to know these words. I guess that's part of it, but but again, it's rather easy. I I hate to say it. This baseball game I, looks I, difficult. I have, you're a better
1: man than I. I've got about a 65 game current streak yeah. going. Uh, what I use is audio. Yeah, is
0: I I word. use that. Used to be my first word. That used to be my first word
1: because it gives you four of the five vowels, and then right. I use E and Y in the second guess, and that yeah. usually, yeah. you know, gets me there. But um, but but you're right. I mean, this uh, the baseball grid is really funny because you have nine squares. And there's three columns and three rows, and in the column on the right, you have to pick. There's you know they'll they'll give you like a, a stats category. So that's a lot of fun. You should play that if you just go to Baseball Reference. It's right there on the page. Just click on it and it's a blast. You'll enjoy. Yeah, I it.
0: I, I I bookmarked it and I will go back to it. But it was it, once I started to realize what the game entailed, I'm like, my my brain cannot uh, cannot extend that type of, uh, work right now to this task. I've got other tasks I have to focus on. Uh, Mm -hmm. and and that, whereas I'm going to be honest with you with Wordle or as I call it turtle, because I'm always on the toilet when I finish it every morning. Um, it's, to me, it's a mindless thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, the challenge level for me on Wordle is very low, except when I get to the sixth, uh, Choice and that's happened a few times. And I've had you know, where you you get the whew, whew, you just barely made it. Uh, other than that, where you're guessing, that's the when I first started playing Wordle, I would get too many words where I had every letter but one, but that one letter missing could be five different words. It could be a B, it could be a P, it could be a T, it could be the same letter that's in the existing four other letters. And then once I realized that it was almost a mathematical formula, and it really is. Um, the game lost a little of its joy. That being said, I play it every day.
1: I played every day. I enjoyed I playing. have a ninety-eight
0: percent winage percentage. What is your win? what's better
1: than mine is like 95, 94, yeah. 95. Yeah. So I mean, I'm good, but I'm not, you know, great. But uh, but I enjoy it, Wordle. Uh, and you're right, it's more fun when you get to the sixth guess. When you yeah. know what I
0: mean. Well, it's it's I'm i get terror stricken if you if you got a big 60 streak. You can't afford I mean, you, but you got to be very protective when you get to that fifth and you're still guessing between, say, three letters. You know, yeah. or here's a good one, the classic one I, I ever had. I used my, my scare, my month, and my fluid, and the only letter came up was A, and it was in the wrong spot. And I'm like, wow. what the hell? B-A-G-G-Y. Boom, I hit it. That's yeah. my greatest wordle ever. I mean, I just pulled it out of my ass, right? Right? But right. I knew there had to be a there had to be a y and there had to be a, a ppy, a ggy. When you don't see things show up, then you know it's one of those type of words. It's pretty th- that at first I used to panic at that point, but now I don't panic at all. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Now you want to now we're really playing now. Okay." So, um, the by the Jews, way, as you age, you should play this game every day. I'll bet you it's good for to ward off Alzheimer's.
1: That's true. That's true. It's good for the brain. Very good. And that's, I think, the the, the main benefit of games like these. Yeah, for sure. You know, they help you think more and think more clearly. So, um, did you see where this uh, Dodgers reliever, Brewstar Gatterall from Venezuela? Great
0: name. Great baseball. Great,
1: great baseball name. Yes, <laughs> right. He he's been in the majors now, or he's been in America for seven years. Uh, in the majors with the Dodgers for, I think, the last two or three. yeah, And he finally got to pitch in front of his mother. And his mother, obviously, a Venezuelan national, very difficult to get out of Venezuela, very difficult to get into the United States. You know, there's all sorts of visas, restrictions, and things like that. But they were finally able to bring her to the United States, and she finally got to see her son pitch. And if you saw the video of this, I mean, it was really emotional, you know, as he's coming off the mound and he points to his mother and then he sticks his face into his glove because he's obviously crying. Right. And then uh, Dave Roberts, you know, meets him in the dugout and is talking to him and points to the mother. And and, and they're just, he, he knows what a huge moment this is because he's For aware sure. of what's going on in the lives of his players like a good manager should. You know, and uh, I just it was one of the most touching scenes I've I've seen on a baseball field in quite some time.
0: Yeah, that was something I, I saw that as well. And uh, what you know, baseball is—it's one of the beauties of the game of baseball that you know, um, life goes on while while baseball is being played. Unlike some other sports where you could never have a moment like that, really, if you think about it, uh, because yeah. it builds up. It you know, he had to—he actually had to perform well. It wasn't just her being being there right and that the incredible journey for her to get there he actually had to finish finish the the tigers as it turns out off which is is ironic because today is the final day of miguel caprera a venezuelan that probably could have helped mr gadderall um had they been on the same team or something or if if if, uh, brosdar was a little bit more well known he might have been able to lobby miguel to, to because miguel has has If nothing else, he has a lot of pull in in that country. And by the way, today is Miguel's last day. I will be watching the game. The fact is he will be part of the Tigers afterwards. They've already said he's going to be a coach. They're going to immediately, you know, have him involved in in help bring players from Venezuela. Uh, And so he's one of baseball's great guys. He was fed, fed around the major leagues this year. But there was one hilarious moment. Like some teams went above and beyond. They got him, I you know, uh, sculptures and you know, all these elaborate gifts, right? And then he went to Oakland. They bought him a bottle of wine. R- really, Oakland? Are you are you kidding me? You bought one of baseball's top well, school? I mean, they are close to Napa all Valley, time. it was probably a pretty you know, it was a $90 bottle of wine, no doubt. But still, he's getting cars and motorcycles, and you're giving him a bottle of wine? I mean, it was almost – and he took – you know, he's such a nice guy. He took it extremely well. But typical Oakland A's. And, of course, the Oakland A fan base just went nuts, you know, yeah. saying, what? The, you know, of course, it's your last act before you leave our town. You know, it just – it didn't go over well anymore. No, for sure. But, uh, but the Cubs were eliminated finally
1: yesterday as they lost – or they beat the Brewers and they came but, back and you know it was a really exciting game. Miami
0: won, but
1: Miami won and it Miami won as they probably were going to. And you know the Cubs really the <laughs> last twenty games really folded up the tenth. and it's 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 sad because we look at a team that at one point was ten games under five hundred, and then yeah. on September eleventh they were twelve games over, and at that point on September eleventh they had a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs. They were solidly ensconced. In the second wild card position, it, it looked like nobody was gonna knock them out, but they lost what is it, 14 of their next 20.
0: And yeah, well, if you go if you go and look at um the last 30, 20, 10, like I like to do, um, the Cubs are in the last 30, they're 13 and 17, in the last 26 and 14, and then the last 10, 4, and 6, that only six teams in the majors over that span of time were worse than them. So yeah. they they played themselves out of the playoffs, basically. They did. So, they just, there's, some re- there's some reasons yeah. why. They had some really, really bad luck and some poor uh late game pitching. I mean, let's and and also Suzuki made a one of the bonehead defensive plays. It was just like the black cat coming onto the field in the 69 season. <laughs> a lot of people felt that there was there was kind of a karma moment there when Suzuki made that two two uh run error that um caused the cubs to lose yet again but leading up to that their bullpen was struggling mightily and almost every single game they didn't have they still don't really have a closer it was by committee you asked the question if the the cubs didn't make the playoffs is this season a failure it's a very interesting question because if i was the boss of the cubs and you know how much i like david ross I would say, David, I'm not going to fire you right now, just like they did to Gabe Kapler a few days ago in San right. Francisco. Kapler's got a way better record than you. I'm not going to fire you. But if you don't take the Cubs far into the playoffs next season, I will. That's what I would say to him. I, and the reason is, is because they came into September ill-prepared to finish off this season, that's on the manager. I'm sorry. The, the 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 fact that they don't have the talent, that's been a problem with the Cubs all season long. But guess what? They started playing well. You can't set reasonable expectations at a certain level and revert. Can't do it. That's how you get fired. And, and, I think it's and, hard to blame. I, I understand. But some owners might have fired David Ross. And, and, and who knows, he may still get fired. I don't think so. But if I if I was the Ricketts, I would just say, man to man, next year we cannot have this happen again. And we're going to try to help get you the players to, to make you successful. But if you don't take the Cubs far, based on what we give you, your history, I would make it very clear that you that we're not going to tolerate another year like this because, David, what the hell has happened in the last 14 days? I'm, t- I'm telling you, if Sparky was here, he would say, that's my fault. That's not the player's fault. It's not the fact they don't have a ball pen, bullpen. It's not that they don't really have the personnel, because they didn't have the personnel on September 11th, did they? But yet, they were playing well. They had a 90% chance of making the playoffs. Whose fault is this? Well, they they made some decisions that
1: that at the time really helped them get into contention. Whereas they, they didn't trade for a lot of relief pitching. They decided to supplement their bullpen with guys from their own organization. And, uh, you know, so that way they didn't trade off a lot of their up-and-coming assets. But, and that helped them. They were really doing well, but then it kind of bit them in the ass. You know, these guys, they're inexperienced, really caught up with them. And late in the game, they had a lot of trouble protecting leads. You know, yeah. Pete Armstrong is interesting as a player he may be he's really really raw he's, he's really overmatched
0: great. at the plate right now but that's to be determined on him because he's such a great defender you, yes. you never know he could be the ozzie smith of center fielders we don't know he's he's got some mad skills defensively
1: and and he's fast and and if he can learn how to hit at the major league and he got a taste of what it's like and yep, what he's going to yep. need to do but there were really bright spots this year no like no doubt uh, what's his name? Uh Seiya Suzuki's resurgence, where he was just sort of ordinary for a lot of the year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, mixed
0: ba- it's a mixed bag with that guy for me. I gotta be honest with you. It's, well, I, I... I mean,
1: since Ross benched him for three days, he was unbelievable. Yeah. You know. And and then you have Christopher Morrell, who looks like he might be able to 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 contribute in the future, you know, if they can find him a defensive position. With me, as far as thinking about next year, they absolutely must
0: re-sign Cody Bellinger. Oh, without a doubt. He if is, they don't, the message that it sends to to us Cubs fans is just we don't care. That don't, they care. must, yeah, right. they must sign him. It, it's a he, must.
1: He is so much a. Part. He's the straw. He's the straw. Yeah. He is their identity. He is that big left handed stick. I would sign him to ten years. This is the guy. You know, you could sign this guy to a long contract because. He will age gracefully. He yeah. can play center field now, but as he gets older, you move him to first base. He's still going to hit like hell. You know what I mean? And I, I I, hope he's with the Cubs for 10 years. I really do.
0: I do, too. I do, too. It'll be very interesting offseason for the Cubs because if they don't really show, a, show the fan base that there's a commitment to take the next step, you can't have another experimental year like this year. You've got to no. go to the next step. You know, there, the, nowadays you got to be on a three-year plan. You can be the worst team in baseball by year three. You could win the World Series. That's the way it works. And you have to—they have to speed up that process. Wow. I'm for our film picks. Um, I'm going to pick mine first, if you don't go mind. Ahead. So, um, Tony Scott uh, killed himself, and unfortunately, in 2012, and the last film that he made. Is the film that Quentin Tarantino says is the best film of the 2010s? It was a film with Denzel Washington called Unstoppable.
1: Unstoppable. Okay. All right. All right. I I've decided on a movie uh, that I, I know you've seen it. I didn't see Unstoppable by the way. By the way, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Nor have I. So, um, but uh, the movie I chose is Jack Nicholson, Angelica Houston, uh, Kathleen Turner, mm-hmm. Fritzie's
0: honor oh yeah i saw this in the movie theater i fell yeah. asleep on this film in the movie theater but anyways i i look forward to seeing it because it was good co- it was very good
1: all right all right so until next time uh for myself leo fontana and my good friend tom hockney we are the two peas in a podcast. Later, I've been thinking. Much I miss my lady Now marina's in a cornfield Riding in the daybreak Living like a lusty elf.